0: Thanks for listening to the For the Campus podcast, where each week we sit down and have discussions about Christian faithfulness in the college campus. To learn more about City Church Tallahassee and our ministries, head to citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, hey guys, once again, welcome to City Church U. My name is Hunter Levine. I'm the college pastor here, and we're grateful that you guys decided to join us and to make us a part of your Tuesday night. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be working through the book of Philippians together as a group. So if you have a Bible or you want to use your phone, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 9. We'll also have it on the screens here. Now, if you were here last week, we opened up the series and we're about to make that uh, last week's sermon available on our podcast. But we talked about how Paul begins this letter to the church in Philippi. And he opens the letter up with a greeting, but also a prayer. A heartfelt prayer because Paul loved the church of Philippi. In fact, we know that Paul actually helped start the church in Philippi. There's a lot of familial language because he he feels like a, a brother in Christ to them. He cares deeply about them. And so we see in the first part of the prayer, the posture of Paul's prayer, how he prays, what he prays like. So he prays with thanks. He's grateful for them. We're introduced to this phrase, this really important phrase in the book of Philippians, partners in the gospel. Paul says he's grateful for their partnership in the gospel. And that partnership runs two ways. One, we're partners because we're all participants. We're all receivers of Christ's grace. If you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in him, you're a Christian, we have all received faith and grace in Jesus Christ. And so we're we're all partakers in the gospel, but we're also practitioners. And what I mean by that is, we don't just have salvation in Christ, but we also have work to do. And so that's where our partnership revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about how Paul prays with remembrance and joy. And I talked about how, and this is an important thing in today's world, that when you pray with remembrance, looking back to the, all the great things that God has done, how he's honored his word, how he's loved his people, has, how he's displayed his glorious grace upon grace upon grace to all his people. When we see that and we're remembering that, it'll lead to joy. When we pray without remembrance, it often leads to anxiety because we forget all the good things that God has done and we're just thinking about our current need without remembering who God is. And then lastly, we talked about how he prays with confidence. He prayed with confidence. Today we're going to pick up and actually see what he prayed for. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, after praying with thanks, after praying with remembrance and joy and confidence, Paul says this, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's two parts that we're going to see here tonight in this last part of the the prayer. One, what he prays for, and two, what he prays will come of it. So one, what he prays for, and two, what he prays will come from that. So back to verse 9, he says this, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And the love that Paul is mentioning is not some sort of vague, bland, cultural love, some sort of love that maybe would just be displayed you know, in a huge piece of art. People not really know what it means, what's the significance of it, what does it look like, loving what. Something much more specific than that. He prays that their love will keep growing in knowledge in every kind of discernment, certain type of love. Knowledge and discernment. I, I heard one commentator put it like this Knowledge asks the question, what is right? What is correct? What is true? Discernment asks the question, what is best? Knowledge is focused on what is right. Discernment is focused on what is best. So once you get that foundational question answered, you know what is right, Uh, discernment would be when you're trying to figure out what is the best thing to do. Example of that might be, where am I going to study in my college years? It's not necessarily about what is right, but what is best. What's the best route for me to take? What should I major in? What job? Who should I marry? Discernment is this, if you want a definition, you're taking notes. Discernment is knowledge applied. It's knowledge applied. I was a religion major at Florida State before I switched over to creative writing, which is similar to journalism. And if you're ever walking around Florida State and you see the religion building, Dodd Hall, there's a, something written over the doorway, and it says, the half of knowledge is knowing where to find knowledge. It always stood out to me. The half of knowledge is knowing where to find knowledge. For the Christian, Scripture is the starting point. It's the foundation, it is the, the source of where we know who God is, what he wants us to know about him, what is true, how the world works. It's the starting place of all knowledge is scriptures. And not only is it the starting place, but it's also the place in which uh, all, everything else rests underneath its authority. So it's where we start to understand knowledge, but also everything that we know rests under the authority of the word of God. And this is how scripture works. It helps us to learn how to see the world around us. It doesn't necessarily give us every answer to every question we have in life, but what it does is as we study it, as we grow in our knowledge of Scripture, it begins to form a lens that allows us to see every aspect of our life. So there's knowledge, there's knowing what is true, and there's discernment, knowing what is best. So when we see that he wants them to grow in a love, but a love that's connected with knowledge and discernment. So, The famous question is now, what's love got to do, got to do with it, right? Like, what does knowledge and discernment have to do with love? This doesn't sound very romantic, does it? Because we have a kind of Hollywood cultural view of love. A love that's not necessarily from reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures, but a love that's more from us watching screens or listening to the world speak. So, what is knowledge? and love doing together in this verse? Well, it takes discernment to know the loving thing to do. To actually put action behind love, not the feeling, but the action of love, the commitment of love. As John Mayer says, love is a verb, right? The prophet. (laughs) In order for us to love well, we have to have discernment. We have to know what is the loving thing to do. This is like when a brother or sister in Christ is in grief and we have to discern what's the best way that we love them right now. Maybe it's just listening. Sometimes we call that a ministry of presence, just being there for them, saying, I know you're working through stuff. I just wanna listen to you. Can I pray for you? I'm sorry you're going through that. Sometimes it takes discernment to know the loving thing to do there. Sometimes it's rebuking a brother or sister in Christ because they're off base, And knowing when to stand up and say, hey, you know, you did this and you shouldn't have. It takes discernment. There's so many things in our life that we do as we follow Jesus Christ, as we try to live on mission in the world around us, that requires discernment in order for us to actually love people well. And this is an important thing for us to grasp is what love is and what love looks like has to rest under the authority of God's word. It has to rest under the authority of God's word. Just like Ephesus, you're constantly surrounded with voices telling you this is what love looks like. If you really love people, then you'll do this. If you really care about someone, then you'll say this. You're constantly being surrounded with all of these voices. And here's what we have to understand. We have to grasp this and we have to become okay with this that the world says something different. It offers up something different, a different idea of what love means than the word of God. They don't line up perfectly. I remember a few years ago watching the Super Bowl, uh, Coldplay was playing the halftime show. I don't know if that band is cool anymore anymore. But Coldplay was playing a halftime show and they put up like a bunch of signs and it said love and everybody just went crazy and I mean, people were crying, emotional, beautiful picture, just yes, love, right? And every, everybody felt moved. But a lot of people mean different things by that. have different expectations about what it looks like to live that out. The world offers up a different idea of what love is and what love looks like other than the Bible. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, who want to grow in knowledge, grow in discernment, and sit under the authority of God's word. We have to come to grasp with, there's certain things in our life that aren't gonna line up with everyone else around us. If you're coming on Sundays, we're in a series called Fish Out of the Water, or Fish Out the Water. It's the reality for a Christian. We see something different. The world often tells us that love means tolerance and affirmation. If you really love somebody, You'll, you'll, you'll fully affirm everything they do. You'll just accept them exactly the way everything is. You won't challenge them. You won't disagree with them. You'll just tolerate. You'll just lay back. Have you noticed that? That's often the message. Now, a lot of times we don't tolerate other views But that's kind of the idea that's predominant in the world today. But for those of you who are in this room and who are Christians or you're interested in hearing what Christians think, we have to understand love differently. Because what we understand about love needs to be what was defined and displayed in Christ, not the world. We look to Christ to understand what does love look like. And oftentimes what happens in our world today, why this is so important, is that love and knowledge often get pitted against each other. And I think it's interesting that when Paul writes this, he prays that their love would grow in knowledge because in our world today, love is more of an emotion or more of a posture of just embracing everything around you, everyone around you for everything that they are. But I think we see something a little bit different in the text. It's not love that's separated from truth. It's not love separated from knowledge. It's love and it's knowledge. It's caring about people and it's caring about the truth. Here's the reality, that love without knowledge, just the idea, kind of generic, vague love without knowledge of who God is, what his word says, is malnutritioned at best and potentially damning at worst. Time and time again in the scriptures, we see that when we don't live the way that God called us to live, when we don't see what God's called us to see, when we follow a different path, that that path leads to destruction we see this again and again and again in the bigger story of the scriptures. And so the loving thing to do is to help people understand what God has said and who God is in the scriptures because we don't want to lead them astray. We don't want to lead them to a place that might promise them joy and bring them pain or emptiness or hurt. But doctrine without, so if love without knowledge is not good, so is knowledge without love. It's cold, it's unchrist-like. It's likely not rooted in that person's heart because the knowledge of God will lead to us loving people. This is why we hear in the scriptures to love our God and also to love our neighbor. Our love for God and us knowing that God loved us and what he's done through Christ should lead to us loving others. And those two things are connected. And so knowledge without love is cold and unchrist-like. And so here's something I'd love for you to take down and think about if you're taking notes, that real love is truthful. It has knowledge. It has discernment. It isn't telling people what they want to hear. It's caring about people, and it's caring that they understand the way that the world works. When I first began ministry several years ago, it's almost 10 years ago, um, I worked with middle school and high school students. And I love these kids. Anybody that's ever worked with middle school and high school students would would know the, the, the feeling that you get in seeing them grow up, seeing them uh, make friends, seeing them understand God's word. But there's a lot of struggles. Many of you guys probably experienced this in the middle school and high school years. A lot of struggles. One of the common struggles, to be honest with you, that, that we saw was students who encounter different eating disorders. And I'll tell you, it was challenging. It's hard. It's heartbreaking to hear a young girl or a young man come to you and say, I feel like I'm fat. They might be 5% body fat. They have this feeling, they believe that they're wildly overweight and they need to starve themselves to lose their weight. That's what they feel is right. That's how they see it. And it's unloving not to tell them the truth in that moment. We all understand this to some extent. I'm not going to lie to you. Right? Because our people, our leaders, our counselors are gonna say you're beautiful. You're cared for by the Lord. I'm not gonna let you go believing this lie. This is not true about you. And we'd all say that, right? It's not good to feed into that lie that's got nested in their head. It's the same that that real love requires truth. We need to tell people what the word has said. We all grasp that at some point. Another important question for us to ask when we look at this, right? A love that has knowledge and truth that tells people what God has revealed. A love for who? Well, in the scriptures, we're told throughout the scriptures to love different groups of people. First and foremost, we're, we're called to love one another within the body of Christ. And this can be challenging because we have different views about how things should be. And let's just be honest, a lot of us, myself included, can be really annoying Because we're sinful people who need God's grace, who get things wrong all the time, and God has saved us, and He has brought us together, and He's called us to love one another. The scriptures are filled with one another's care for one another, love one another, carry one another's burden. And so, first and foremost, we're called to love one another, but we're also called to love our neighbor, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they believe regardless of how they live. Why would we love our neighbor regardless of who they are? Because that displays Christ's love well. We're also called to love the least of these, even people who can't give us, in a worldly sense, anything. How countercultural is that? You've probably already seen how much of the world is loving people who can do something for you. We're called to love the least of these And scripture even takes it even more extreme. We're called to love our enemies. Even people who have no desire to offer any type of love back. But in order for us to do this well, in order for us to actually love people well, we need to have knowledge and discernment. And so that's the first thing that he prays for, a love that grows in knowledge and discernment. The second thing is what he prays will come. This is the, the so what of the passage. He says this in verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Look at this, verse 10, approve what is superior and pure and blameless in the day of Christ. And this is back to the idea of discernment, being able to understand what is superior, what is good, what would the Lord require of me here in this decision, in this action, in this situation. It's back to discernment. In Luke 14, 9, the same word is used when it's talking about testing oxes or oxen. I, I like that language, I like that imagery of testing because the reality is discernment takes time and discernment's hard work. It's hard work to actually sit down and think about what should I do here, to deeply think about it, to pray about it, to look at your options, to study the scripture, to seek counsel from older brothers and sisters in Christ. And truthfully, it's a lot of hard work because we have a tendency just to make decisions based off what's easiest now. Man, if I have this conversation, it's going to be hard. I might lose a friend. This might get awkward. So I'm just going to do what's easiest. But discernment doesn't lead us to what's easiest. Discernment leads us to what's best. What's the right thing to do? And the truth is that most of us put more effort into discerning what vehicle we drive, what major we have, what clothes we wear, what makeup we buy, than we do thinking about the heavy eternal things of life. I mean, man, we will, some of some of you guys talking about your truck with the this motor, this engine, this cabinet, got this, these wheels got this. You know, we put a lot of discernment into things that we care about. We're willing to test it, we're willing to study it, we're willing to 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 do the hard work. But how often do we come up short on the eternal important things in life? When Paul's talking about discernment, he's not talking about where am I going to open up my next business. He's talking about heavy eternal things, but he's also talking about important everyday Christian things. For instance, how am I going to study my word? How am I going to discern the best way for me to grow in my knowledge of God's word? How am I going to reconcile with this brother and sister in Christ that I had beef with? How am I going to forgive this person? How How can I move forward from here, the everyday things How do we move through that based off the knowledge of God's word? And something that I I wanted to add here is this, that discernment, it not only takes knowledge, but it takes discipline. Because a lot of the times when we use discernment, the best thing to do is the hard thing to do. It's going to require us waking up and having that type of discipline and discernment leads us away from doing what we feel like doing or doing what we feel is easiest and it leads us towards doing what we think is best. And this kind of combats the idea of not just our time, but but of Paul's time as well, which is this lie, to trust our hearts. You've probably been told that time and time again. And I jokingly say this sometimes, but like, we've been told to trust our hearts from a generation of uh, dolphin tattoos and all sorts of funny things that have gone on in the 60s and 70s and 80s, right, when they were trusting their hearts. What we see time and time again in scripture is hearts that aren't informed by God's word are a dangerous thing. Often confused, often don't know what our hearts really want. Discernment helps us not to do what we feel, but to do what is best, and it requires that discipline. And Look at verse 11, he says this, that we be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Now, here's something incredibly important for us to understand in this text is this. Christ is the one who makes us righteous. We do not achieve our righteousness on our own. When we place faith in Christ and say that we could not do this on our own, we are sinful people who need his grace, his righteousness is given to us. That's the significance of the cross in Christianity, that Jesus Christ took on our punishment and he gave us his righteousness. And because of that, because we're given Christ's righteousness, a fruit in our life, something that should come from our life, not perfectly, but moving towards progress. There should be some fruit. This is what he's talking about, the fruit of righteousness. Our lives would change and change, and we become more and more like Jesus. The big theological word for this is sanctification, but all that means is becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you've ever had fruit trees at your house or you've ever been into gardening, you know that over time, it grows and it grows and it produces more and more fruit as it's cared for. And it's the same in our life. Psalm 1 says that living our life rooted in God's word is like being a tree planted next to a stream. It's fruitful. It's full of life. So he prays that and then he concludes the prayer with the ultimate goal. The big picture, the, the huge point of all of this. Why this all matters. And the ultimate goal is this. To the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. This is the ultimate goal. The Westminster Catechism says, asked this question at the very beginning, and I've always loved it. It says, what is the chief end of man? What is the point? Every worldview has to answer if and what is the point of man. Like, why are we here? What is the big thing that we should be striving for? And I love this. It says, mankind's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what Paul's praying for. That you would have a love that grows in knowledge and discernment, that you would have fruit in your life, and that ultimately through your life, through that fruit, it would glorify God. It's interesting what Paul doesn't pray for, for the church in Philippi. He doesn't pray for their safety, Lord, keep them safe, because Paul's imprisoned at this point. Paul, keep them out of jail, keep them safe, keep them healthy, put a hedge of protection around them, whatever that means, right? (laughs) He doesn't pray for their safety. He doesn't pray for their comfort. He doesn't pray for financial stability. Not that those are bad things. Not that we can't pray for safety. That's not the ultimate thing that Paul is praying for. He prays for their growth, He prays for their affections. He prays that they would have a different kind of love than the world around them. A love that has the knowledge of who God is and what he says. And a love that has discernment and can figure out how to love people well. And I love this because he prays all this to to God's glory. But I love what what the the catechism says, which it says to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Here's the beautiful thing about the Christian walk and I'm young in it. I'm not an expert, but I've been following the Lord since in high school. I've been studying his word. I've been surrounded by great godly men and women. That as we grow in our knowledge, as we grow in discernment and learn how to navigate life, as we study God's word, it glorifies God, but it also leads to a real joy. And some of you guys maybe heard this story before, but I once went to Pigeon Forge, and if you've ever been to Pigeon Forge before, there's all sorts of arcades all over the place and places to, to waste money, especially if you're a teenage boy. And so one day, me and my friend, we were hanging out and we decided that we wanted to go on the Jurassic Jungle Boat Ride. Now, the Jurassic Jungle Boat Ride had a very impressive outdoor area, robotic you know, knockoffs from Jurassic Park, Not not, not a part of the franchise, important to understand. And so we spent or $15, something like that, to ride the Jurassic Jungle Boat ride. And we rode this ride, and I remember at the beginning having such high expectations, you know, like that feeling you get when you don't know what's coming up next. And we went around the corner, In the first corner was just a bunch of robots and some paintings and lights and stuff, a little bit of smoke on the ground. Apparently it was real smoky back then. And I remember thinking, okay, that's kind of cool, but I bet it's going to get really good here. And we went around the corner again, more robots, more smoke on the ground, more lights. And again, another corner, same thing, same thing, same thing. No, no loops, twists, water splashes, anything cool. And I got to the end and I remember thinking to myself, is this it? <laughs> Did I really just waste my money on this? And here's the reality this is the way that life often works. This is the way that the enemy often works. This is the way that sin often works. Sin cannot satisfy but it can distract us. It can lead us thinking that just around the corner, just a little bit more. If I just give it a little bit more time, maybe if I just find the right guy, the right girl, maybe if I could just get a little bit more money, if I could be in the next phase of life, if I could have a a house, if I could have a wife, if I could have a career, if I could just be retired, if I could just be retired and live in the place I wanted to live. We spend our whole life thinking it's around the corner, it's around the corner, it's around the corner, and we never get any type of satisfaction or real joy. Something's always missing. Here's a beautiful thing. When he's praying that their love would grow in knowledge and affection, Paul understands that when we have knowledge of the Lord, when we're able to discern, when we're able to study God's word, it leads to our joy. There's a lot of great things in life. I have the privilege of being married to an incredible godly woman. I have two beautiful girls. I've seen so many incredible things. Nothing compares to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ to know that the creator of the universe knows me, loved me, called me, gave his life for me, has spoken to me through his word. There's no greater joy in it. Everything else in my life makes sense in light of that. The husband I am, the father I am, the friend that I am. And this is what Paul is praying for in the church of Philippi, that they would glorify God knowing that the knowledge of who he is and living this way will ultimately lead to their joy. So here's three things I want to close with, three, three things to challenge. Number one, that we would be people who are seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge, even when it's not popular, even when that's not what most people say. We don't ask the question, what do most people think? We ask the question, what does God's word say? We'd be people seeking knowledge. And as we know what God's word says, we better know who he is. Secondly, that we would be submitting our heart to God's word. Submitting our heart to God's word. Not trusting our heart, but saying, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that my heart's not perfect. It's not the perfect compass in my life. So I'm gonna submit it to God's word. And then three, that we'd be enjoying God. Enjoying God. It's not talked enough about in Christian life. But as we grow in our knowledge of who he is, we in, in, grow in our enjoyment of who he is and what he's done as well. That's our prayer for you. That's why we're spending so much time going through Philippians. We're going to have another song together giving you an opportunity to reflect. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to gather together tonight as a group to sing your truth, to study your word, to participate in Christian community. Father, and we just pray that we would grow in our love and knowledge and discernment. That we would know who you are and we'd know how to love people well. Through tough times, through challenging times, through confusing times, God, we pray that we'd be a discerning people. We're grateful that you've allowed us to gather together tonight. We're grateful for the friendships that are in this room, for the work that we know that you're gonna do. And Father, we pray that you would continue to raise up a generation of college students who know you and love you and love people well. We ask that you bless us in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the For the Campus podcast. If this podcast was helpful for you, please take time to share it with others. Also, feel free to reach out to us online. Have a great day.